In the ongoing global campaign to prevent, treat, and cure HIV and AIDS, there have been countless therapeutic approaches targeting the HIV virus and everything it interacts with on the path to infection. But after decades of relentless infectivity claiming over 25 million lives, what if we could one day simply edit and delete the HIV virus right out of existence? This is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. My guest today is leading a novel research effort to leverage gene editing technology in the fight against HIV, and the results so far are exceeding all expectations. He's Dr. Kamel Khalili, professor and chair of the Department of Neuroscience, director of the Center for Neurovirology, and director of the Comprehensive NeuroAIDS Center at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University. Dr. Khalili, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's great to have you with us. So before we jump into the research and the technology, I really want to get a sense for where this idea to edit viral genes out of infected cells came from, because while it sounds intuitive and a lot more direct than our suppressive efforts to make HIV a chronic disease, it's also a completely different approach. Yes, as you mentioned, the current AIDS therapy, which is called the antiretroviral therapy, controls virus replication in T lymphocytes of HIV-positive patients, but has failed to eliminate virus from the infected cells or permanently inactivate the viral genome that is integrated in the host uh, T lymphocytes. So, as you know, once the virus uh, infects human cells, the viral genome, which is RNA molecule, becomes a DNA, and then DNA incorporate, become part of the host genome. So, at this stage, the virus utilizes the host machinery to, to replicate their genome, and the outcome is the production of HIV in the cells and eventually destruction of the cells. Now, there are small populations of the T lymphocytes retained a virus genome, incorporated virus genome in a latent stage. These cells are called reservoir, usually memory T cells or the one that uh, retains uh, the, uh, this uh, basically uh, latent virus genome. So every time that the patients uh, stop taking antiretroviral uh, drugs, the virus rebounds and the viremia happens and, uh, and they can go back to the stage of uh, moving toward the AIDS. Now, the way that we can stop this event is inactivating viral genome or excising entire viral DNA from the chromosomes. So we look at the, the problem as a genetic problem, not infectious disease problem. To this end, we, we try to find a way to excise integrated copies of the viral DNA from the T cells. So we use the gene editing strategy, which uh, over the last uh, two and three years received uh, special attention by the biomedical community, so-called CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing. It was about uh, three years ago, and uh, we, uh, we customized, uh, refined this uh, gene editing to specifically identify and recognizes integrated copies of, of uh, HIV in the cells, and then apply this technology to the, the cell, to cell culture, human cell culture in the laboratory, and these cell culture, cell, cell models had one or two or three copies of the HIV integrated in the cells. 
so with our great surprise, we realized that, uh, that the, the technology has capacity to eliminate the entire viral genome from the cells, basically converting the infected cells to become completely uninfected cells. So we verify this excision uh, strategy by whole genome sequencing. Basically, we took the eradicated cell uh, and then and uh, sequenced the entire gene of these treated cells, and we realized that there is no footprint of the HIV coding sequence in the gene after the excision. It basically became a complete, uh, if I call it, a sterile cure for in the cells. Then we move forward and we ask the question whether or not this excision strategy is harmful for the cell. Does it really introduce any mutations or any gene uh, alteration in the, in, the, in the host genome? Is it safe? So for that one, we also sequence, uh, look at the sequence analysis that we obtained from the cured cells and compare that one to the untreated cells. And after a series of analysis of the data, we realized that the strategy does not introduce any mutations which could be you know, ascribed to the excision strategy. So if the safety on the genotoxicity was in place, so there's no genotoxicity. Then we look at the other, other indices, such as the cell cycle, cell proliferation, cell viabilities, and we realize that uh, it's really safe, at least in the cell culture model, and uh, it does not have any collateral damage to the host genome or, or cell functions. And Dr. Cleveland, I'll be interested in, in learning more about the safety element because that's, that's obviously the heart of the matter for many of our viewing and listening audience. But let me go back to the CRISPR-Cas9 technology that you guys, uh, your team, has leveraged. Most people think of CRISPR-Cas9. It's come on the scene in the last few years. It's gained a lot of traction and interest and appeal within the medical community. But most people think of it in terms of editing as so far as being able to uh, address heritable diseases or move in on adding genes uh, where possible, um, almost like designer genetics. What your team seems to have done as, is pivot on that concept and think about removing uh, deleterious genes added by infectious disease. So my question to you is, where did that pivot come from? Because it's there's a pretty remarkable change in sentiment or outlook. And then second to that is, is this type of approach limited to targets that insert their DNA into host cells like retroviruses or their even broader utilities? I, I think that the answer to your question is that, uh, as I uh, mentioned, that the viral genome is integrated in the host gene. And then if we, we reason that if, if the approach needs to be taken toward the cure of AIDS, we either have to eliminate in all the infected cells or even better, we eliminate the virus from the infected cells. And the only way that we thought that we can do it precisely without any effect on the host function is this CRISPR-Cas9 system. So we look at the other gene editing approaches, like a zinc finger or talons, and realize that those are very laborious, very expensive, they're very time-consuming. And, you know, we started that, but soon after the 
knowing about the capacity of the CRISPR-Cas9 system, we shift quickly toward the, this technology, and we were able to, within a, less than three months, uh, get the first set of results showing that the, the capacity of the system in removing the genes. Now, uh, with, uh, with respect to the second question, we actually right now using this system for three, four other the human viruses, and actually one of them which we published several months ago is on a human virus, so-called the JC virus. It's a human neurotropic virus which uh, reactivates in brain and causes a fatal demyelinating disease, or PML. And the virus is replicating in the episomal stage. It does not integrate in the host chromosome. And we developed the technology based on the CRISPR, and we were able to target various regions of the JC viral genome and inactivate the, the, the virus in, in, in the cells, uh, replication of the virus in the cells. So that tells us that once you have an effective uh, molecule which targets the gene of your interest, either in episomal stage or integrated stage, you can basically target those and, and, and uh, edit or, or inactivate or uh, introduce any alteration in the genes. I think utility of the, of the CRISPR-Cas9 goes way beyond just the HIV and JC. You can apply that one for a number of other infectious disease and uh, HPV, HPV, simplex virus, uh, and so forth. That's fascinating. Well, for those who are just joining us, this is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm joined by Dr. Kamel Khalili from the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University. We're talking about a whole new potential therapeutic approach in the fight against HIV and AIDS. So, Dr. Khalili, you had talked about your experiments, your research right now being done ex vivo, uh, using cells grown in culture, using T lymphocytes of infected patients. I want to then imagine broadening the scope of gene editing here to millions upon millions of infected cells in the body. And I think that the first basic concern that might crop up for those on the bedside of research uh, on the clinical side would be how to reach enough of these millions upon millions of cells in the body to fully eradicate the virus. And then from there, how to ensure that the editing goes right in enough cases not to take down the T cells being fixed. I mean, are those even legitimate concerns? Yes, yes. Actually, the way that we look at this problem is that should gene editing using CRISPR-Cas9 enters into clinic, that's our goal, should be done in the context of the antiretroviral therapy. So uh, ART uh, uh, suppresses virus replication. So basically brings it down to the almost undetectable level in the patients. So but it does not eliminate the virus from the genome. So what, if you find an effective delivery system, that's basically gene therapy that allows us to deliver CRISPR-Cas9 in vivo throughout the maybe weeks or months, we should be able to reach out to every single cell and the, the tissues and eliminate the viral genome. One thing we learned was that once you have this CRISPR-Cas9 in the cell, it's going to eliminate the DNA. It's, it's gonna, it has a good capacity to edit the gene. It's a very powerful technology. 
So I think that with that notion, maybe the technology, the, the excision molecules will be uh, paired with the antiretroviral for a, maybe two months, three months, four months. These are the, some of the uh, estimate that we can get it through the, the earlier stage of the clinical trials or preclinical studies. And then with notion that once you remove antiretroviral, there won't be any virus to rebound because of the excision has removed the viral DNA from the, from the host genome. So I think that is the strategy that, that is going to probably work should this technology get into the clinic. And of course, the preclinical studies in the primates is going to tell us far more information. I think that's what the, I think, I believe that's going to uh, be a way of move forward. You know, one of the most maddening aspects of HIV is its exceptional adaptability, um, its ability to mutate. How does CRISPR-Cas9 potentially address that? Would would there have to be um, an ongoing vigilance of that mutational capability, let's say, hypothetically, in, in each individual patient? Yes. Uh, actually, if you uh, look at the areas that the virus is mutated, mostly in the area like a GP120, which is a coding for the GP120 codings, which is an envelope protein and area. What we did in the initial st stage of our studies, we, we, we performed bioinformatic studies of the, all the virus isolates has been sequenced so far. And then based on that, we identified the several areas within the virus coding, uh, non-coding area, which is LTR, which is highly conserved. So we target those areas within the virus with notion that this probably is going to be a universal, basically a target for editing by Cas9. And that's the one. So that's the way you can, I, can, I think you can probably overcome the problem associated with the, the mutation. Nevertheless, the CRISPR-Cas9 is a very flexible system. So let's say that if we use our universal CRISPR system in the patients and we realize that you can drop the virus tighter by 90%, but still 10% is not responding to your therapy, you can quickly personalize your, your system. The way that you can do is that uh, you harvest the blood from the patient and then look at the, at the, the virus, which is derived from that particular patient, quick uh, targeted deep sequencing, look at the gene of the virus, and develop the, the strategy which targets specifically that population of the virus, and then put it back into patients. And, the, and this is not very complicated. It's, it's rather with the current technology, with the targeted deep sequencing, and with the creation of the guide RNA in the context of CRISPR, one can achieve the goal within the estimation of the two or three months. Almost the same thing that we are doing these days in some of the cancer treatment. We are targeting, we are personalizing cancer treatment based on the genetics. So we can basically do the same approach for the virus. Well, except that in this case, you're looking at the viral genome. In the cancer, you're looking at the, the cancer cellular gene, which is mutated, becoming cancerous. I am hearing definite parallels there. I'm sure a number of our, our listeners are as well. So where do you think 
some of the challenges may lie in utilizing this technology in vivo. For instance, could the innate immune system be a helper hindrance or the lymphatic system or other aspects um, that, that might pose barriers to actually getting the delivery right? Yes, that, that is, delivery is uh, something that we need to work on it. And uh, actually, there are a number of uh, gene delivery systems that one can use. We can use the virus-based gene delivery system, that the, such as the adeno-associated virus, AAB, which receives a lot of traction these days. And actually, there's a nine clin- more than nine clinical trials are for different disorder diseases using AAB for delivery gene of their interest. And also nanoparticles is another way you can you can develop the nanoparticle for delivery of the CRISPR-Cas9 cells. So though both approaches we are exploring, and we have a very promising results with the AAB in the small animal model, and we are also utilizing the uh, nanoparticle, which is basically decorated with the ligands, which specifically recognizes uh, the infected cells for delivery of the, their, uh, their cargo, which is in this case is CRISPR system. And uh, I think the effective delivery is, is, is important. I think that uh, something is doable, and I think it's going to be pr- probably going to hear uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, advancement uh, in, in the gene delivery using the, those AAV and, uh, and the nanoparticle. And with respect to the, uh, do we really, the question is, do we really need, do we have to really uh, eliminate every single copy of HIV from patients? What if, if we just uh, eliminate 70%? And if we eliminate 70%, maybe we can reduce toxicity associated with the presence of the virus in immune cells. And then what happens is you empower immune cells by removing a, a large number of the virus from the cells. And then when the immune system is empowered, may eliminate the remaining of the infected cells. These are the, some of the things that, uh, that, that we will learn throughout the clinical trials. But there are also good examples. As you know, so far there's only one person got cured uh, from the uh, HIV uh, AIDS. And in this person that, the, that the basically what happened was that it, through the bone marrow transplantation uh, and they introduced, uh, basically transplanted with the, with, the, with the cells which were uh, CCR5 negative. CCR5 is a core receptor for HIV. And then as of today, there is no evidence for the virus replication in this person. But when they did the bone marrow transplantation, they didn't really remove entire infected cells from every site in the patient. They removed the, what is the circulating cell was. So that way you can, you're basically empowering your immune system in the patients. So that probably took care of the remaining of the infected cells which were not cleared or substituted with CCR5 negative cells. So I think this strategy of the elimination of the large number of the infected cells by effective and robust delivery system might be sufficient 
to take us to the cure stage. And it's an interesting comparison you drew to uh, bone marrow transplants, which compared to this sort of sounds like the brute force tactic or the everything but the kitchen sink out. Um, this sounds far more precisioned, and I'm very, very curious to find out, to your point, whether that sort of immunological herd effect would take a place if you remove, say, 70%, um, and if the delivery's there. Do you think that the delivery vehicle will be the largest milestone to reach in terms of being able to take this to prime time? If you ask me about that question about the two years ago, when we had our first publication, I would say yes, probably. But I, I'm far more optimistic because we have some very promising data in in vivo small animal model that shows that actually you can deliver to every single organ ranging from brain to kidney, lung, uh, and lymph node, spleen, and heart, all the tissues in the uh, animal model, and you can actually edit the gene, which in this case was HIV. And uh, I think that uh, we, do, we do need to refine the system, but I think we are not that far from that. And we can actually uh, get to the stage of the, of the good and, uh, uh, and uh, effective uh, delivery system. But again, you never know that uh, what other problem we may face with that, that, but we have to be basically working on, on every aspect of it in the laboratory. I think delivery system is issue is going to be resolved within the next two, hopefully, three years. We're almost out of time, Dr. Kululi, but just if I were to get your optimistic crystal ball sentiment, what do you think, uh, five years, ten years out from clinical application? It's a hard to say. I think the, the clinical application, I, I, I can't say that, but uh, what we are planning to do, we have a, right now in a position based on the some of the preclinical data that we are getting uh, maybe in a, in a two years, two and a half years, enter into clinical trial, phase 1A clinical trials. We are very optimistic about that. But then, then we have to see what the outcome of those clinical trials are. But it's, I can tell you that it's very potent, very powerful technology, and for the first time, we have been able to eliminate the virus in the laboratory, and it's a promising data, very good data in the animal models. Who knows? Maybe maybe in, in less than 10 years, we won't have any problem with AIDS. It's a great parting comment, a great sentiment to close this particular discussion. And with that, I do want to thank my guest, Dr. Kamel Khalili from the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University. We've been talking about new applications for gene editing technology in the fight against HIV and AIDS. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Join us at ReachMD.com to access this and other research updates. And of course, tell us what you think. We look forward to hearing from you. Dr. Khalili, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.